Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 137 for the 4th of March, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, uh, just back from RSA and still a little on the tired side, here with Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. It's only a couple of hours on the plane, isn't it? But uh, it still takes it out of you. It does. Working away on the stand, entertaining people. Well, there's that, and I don't think the... I, I had a five-hour delay on the way out of San Francisco Airport because you're not going to believe this. They actually had rain. I have had the rainiest day of my life in San Francisco. The rain was horizontal, and it was during RSA. But you know where it's always sunny? It's, it's always sunny about 40 miles south in Cupertino. Uh, what, thanks to the reality distortion field? Uh, could be, could be. I'm not going to comment, but there, there seems to be light shining out of something down there. We, we talked a bit about the fixes that were released for Mavericks uh, 10.9.2 in last week's chat chat. And uh, I guess we have a little bit of a kind of um, addendum in that after we recorded the podcast, Apple released some fixes as well for 10.8 and 10.7, Lion and Mountain Lion. But these were different bugs, right? This wasn't the, the critical certificate flaw. That's the irony that at the same time that this 10.9.2 came out for Mavericks, as you say, they had these security updates, no less. Not just updates, but security updates for 10.7 and 10.8. Apple's never been clear about whether 10.7 and 10.8 are supported or will ever be supported at all. Uh, and it looks as though, belatedly perhaps, they are. I just wish Apple would say, yes, chaps, we're supporting them, even if they change their mind later and tell us they've changed their mind. They don't have to engrave it in stone. But just make it clear so we know what sort of frequency these things are going to get security updates. Is it going to be once a year? In which case, you definitely don't want to put off moving to Mavericks. Or is it going to be whenever there's a fix for Mavericks, we'll backport those fixes to the earlier versions? In some small way, I, I almost give them uh, less credit for communications on security than Oracle. At least Oracle comes out and says, hey, here's the versions that are supported. Here's when you're getting fixes. It's quarterly. And you can go to this place and get all the information about it. Uh, with Apple, you know, will Mavericks be patched three times this year or 30? I'm not sure what to put in my calendar. Maybe a bit more predictability, at least in the business world, where more and more Macs are being used because of bring your own device. Wouldn't it make Apple's life easier if they actually knew when they were going to do the releases? If they were only good at launching things, right? Like if they only had a better reputation for getting things out there and communicating with the public. Switching gears to the malware front, our own James Wyke from our UK labs uh, wrote a story for Naked Security this week about kind of a new iteration of the game over malware for uh, Windows. Now, there's a lot of different names to things out there, so I'll do a little clarification. You may have heard of Zeus or Zedbot, which is a banking trojan that the source code was leaked publicly a few years back. And as a result of that, we've seen lots of variations of Zeus. Um, other vendors call this malware Zeus P2P. Uh, at Sophos, we call it Game Over. Uh, and it's quite famous for distributing CryptoLocker, which I know you wrote about, Paul, um, that, that uh, it's one of the mechanisms used to distribute additional malware once your computer is compromised. But, but now it seems it has a rootkit, which uh, you know kind of ups the game again, doesn't it? Yes, it's an interesting sort of indication either of two cyber gangs, if you can call them that, deciding that they're going to collaborate. Maybe there was a merger. Maybe there was an acquisition. It's sort of fascinating that the things that you think about in the regular business world 
all of that's pretty much going on in amongst the cyber crooks as well. So the game over chaps have grafted in this uh, any curse rootkit. The goal of a rootkit is it's, if you like, malware which deliberately hides the presence of other malware. And the reason that crooks like their rootkits is that it makes it less likely that a victim will discover they're infected in the first place. And when they do realize they're infected, because a rootkit will generally shield the processes of the malware, uh, it's actually much harder to get rid of. So would you say that uh, rootkits put the P in APT? Well, I think we need to be clear that the P, the persistent in advanced persistent threat, generally doesn't mean much more than survives a logout or a reboot. In other words, it's not just something that is active in this browser session or in this login and then goes away. But you're right, a rootkit can make the P much bigger in APT by making it less likely that you'll notice at all. And you could argue that, in general, kernel mode code is harder to write, it's harder to do correctly. Malware with a rootkit is trickier to do than malware without a rootkit. So you could say it sort of puts a bit of the A in APT as well. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to, to find that uh, it also increases the detectable surface. Absolutely agree with you. Code that looks for this rootkit may find it, and uh, code that looks for Zeus may find it. So maybe this isn't such a clever move. That is the silver lining that the harder the crooks have to try because they need to get past your defenses, whether they be proactive or reactive that you already have in place, the harder they have to try, the more things they need to do, the more likely it is that you're going to notice. For example, uh, if you're on Windows 7, now the rootkit's been added, what will probably happen is when the dropper or the installer runs that tries to get the malware and the rootkit there together, you will now see a user account control prompt. So if you have a network where you have segregated responsibilities, where users aren't just blindly administrators, then this variant of the malware will give you an extra warning that you wouldn't have seen before. Unless you're on XP, where ironically, if you're not administrator, and because there isn't UAC, you will actually be very slightly safer, because you won't get the UAC prompt that you could approve by mistake. There's always a little twist of irony there. And, and actually, you know, just like it may be easier to detect this rootkitted game over, another lesson, I guess, to be learned from other criminals who aren't necessarily doing it right. A guy was jailed for uh, hacking the grading system at Purdue University in Indiana, a uh, quite prestigious engineering university. What was interesting, if you want to remain undiscovered, I guess, is perhaps uh, you don't want to do what this guy did, which is he changed his grade from an F to an A. The problem in this case is that he'd gone from being somebody who never showed up and hadn't actually done any of the work to being best performer all round. You'd think somebody would have noticed. This guy suddenly got an A. I don't remember ever seeing him. You know, he doesn't have to show up to the lectures, but I don't remember him ever turning in any work. So it does seem surprising that he was able to get away with this, though, of course, he didn't get away with it forever. Well, I guess he had installed a keylogger, right, is uh, how he managed to get uh, get some credentials for a professor or somebody that had authority to alter grades. Um, I guess I, what I didn't see in the story is whether he installed like a half a dozen keyloggers. Like, is it is it really possible for one prof to log in and change the grades of all these different failing classes? My understanding is that he did target the offices or computers of numerous of his teachers. The thing that stood out for me, though, was good old two-factor authentication. 
would probably have knocked this one on the head because he would have got the passwords that they typed in, uh, which last indefinitely, but he would not have been able to get the codes. Another good reason to use 2FA, particularly for a system as important as something that will let someone fraudulently acquire a very prestigious professional qualification. And last but not least, I guess in, in U.S. news, uh, although I, I think this has an impact elsewhere, as you and I have discussed previously, uh, there was a push from the Obama administration for Congress to reconsider passing a national data breach notification law. So, you know, currently, uh, I think 47 U.S. states have a data breach notification law. Do you think there are a lot of breaches going on these days, Chester? You know, I, I'm looking here and not a single one on our list this week. But uh, is that because we decided we're sick of talking about them or did they stop? I think they're like buses. You don't get one for a bit and then three come at once. <laughs> That's certainly the case. But, you know, it's really a challenge for organizations that are victims um, like Target and, and others that we've heard about recently to deal with 47 different state laws and go, oh, so for residents of New Hampshire, we need to do this. But for residents of Georgia, we need to do that. And then when you start entering in things like online data that was entered and stolen, which may not even have an address associated with it, you know, is this person uh, a citizen of Canada or the United States or Australia? I mean, these, these are really complicated things for organizations to deal with in the midst of a crisis. And the hope uh, of, of unifying these laws, at least in the United States, I think is intended to make it a little easier to set expectations for both consumers and businesses as to what they can expect and what their obligations are. Now, my understanding is this has bipartisan support. In other words, it doesn't really have a significant political leaning one way or the other. You know, it's not a Republican thing or a Democrat thing. I'm wondering if part of that is that of the people who are elected in Congress, I bet that by now a significant number of them, as with the population at large, without fear or favour of their political party, will themselves have been carded. Yeah, probably. And uh, I, I mean, they do have a slight advantage on us in that they usually have a staff to take care of those things for them, unlike my mom when she's a victim. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, it's fair to say that almost all of us have been touched by these crimes. It's nice to have staff who can help you with the follow-up, but it's still your identity that's been ripped off, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's a part of Congress who bought anything at a Target store during the gift-giving season at the end of last year would have been a victim along with the rest of the 40 million Americans. So let's hope that that focuses everybody's minds and also focuses the minds of the people in the state legislatures that they all want to row in the right direction and that this thing doesn't get watered down too much to make it a federal law. Well, that's, that's you know, the, the pattern in the past is that these things do simplify things uh, in the end, which is a good thing. Uh, I mean, the U.S. legal system is a bit of a um, confusing to outsiders often because it, it's sort of a contest for everybody to try. The different states each try their own thing to solve a problem. And then when it comes to be a federal law, the, the federal government, you know, cherry picks some of the best ideas, hopefully, from states who've had the most success with their, their own uh, experiments at it. Uh, occasionally, that results in a, a watered-down law, as you referenced, like we saw with the Can Spam Act uh, more than 10 years ago. 
but you know more often than not uh, it raises the stakes in most states even if it may harm uh, one or two states that perhaps were slightly more strict than a federal law but I, I think uh, no matter how it's sliced this will probably be a good thing I wish we'd have something similar going on here in Canada where organizations seem to have no obligation whatsoever to tell me when my data has been compromised even if there's 40 million records well that's my understanding it really depends again it's somewhat provincial I, I live in British Columbia where we have really strict rules around medical information but uh with regard to other stuff it's uh it, it's kind of open game maybe that goes a long way towards explaining why the big data breach stories recently uh, have all come out of the US it's not so much that the US is shabbier at security it's just that for regulatory reasons it is now in a culture where people have the right and will and do find out uh, that something has gone wrong as you said in the last chat chat, oh, the good news from Neiman Marcus, it was only a third of a million people after all. Well, it's a heck of a lot more than the zero people who appear to have been breached in countries where there are no notification laws at all. And on a, on a bright note to end this week's podcast, uh, a lot of folks came up to the staff at RSA to thank us uh, for our work on Naked Security and compliment the podcast. So I want to say thank you to all of our listeners because... Uh, we really appreciate it. We have fun putting this together, and we're glad that it's uh, that it's useful to you and, and that you uh, have an opportunity to come up and say hi. That was great. Can I make a joke, Chester? We love to hear face-to-face -face when we're hitting the target. Ah, <laughs> and I'd also like to, uh, to uh, thank our friends over at CyberRoam now that they're part of the team. I had an opportunity to have our first joint software cyber Rome dinner during the rsa conference and it was really great meeting you guys and we're we're really excited to work together as always for the latest security news you need to go to nakedsecurity.sophos.com for all of our podcasts including this one and all the other great content we produce you can go to soundcloud.com slash and until next time stay secure <laughs>